Hi everyone, I'm Paloma Contreras and you're listening to another episode of the Style Files podcast. Today we have a special guest with us, a good friend of mine and a talented interior designer, Amanda Lindroth. Growing up in Palm Beach in the 1970s, Amanda experienced Florida at its most magical. The style, the architecture, the climate, it would all imprint on her, taking root and blossoming throughout the years. Through her 20s, Amanda worked at Women's Wear Daily and W Magazine and did PR for Gucci as well as other luxury brands in New York, Paris, and London. In her 30s, she moved to Nassau full-time and applied her design eye to her own home, then to properties associated with her husband's development company, and eventually for friends who became clients and, of course, clients who became friends. Throughout her work, she kept the focus on breezy sophistication and vibrant layers of texture and color, the hallmarks of inviting space to host family and friends. Please welcome Amanda Lindroth. I'm so well, Paloma, and I'm so flattered to be on your podcast. Thank you so much. What a bright thing, a ray of sunshine. Oh, you're sweet. Well, that's my hope. I'm hoping that we can bring a little distraction, some inspiration, and like you said, a bright spot in people's day during this strange time we're all sharing right now. So are you, are you in the Bahamas? So scared. I'm in the Bahamas. I'm at Hope Hill at my home here. And it's a very, very beautiful day. Um, It's the, uh, the Bahamas is particularly beautiful in the months of March and April. It's very dry and there's always a beautiful blue sky and the temperature is moderate and the breeze is beautiful. It's really, um, it's eerily beautiful and strangely quiet. Um, Oddly, you know, people are taking this all pretty seriously here. So um, you see people playing golf out the window, but they're standing six feet apart and taking separate golf carts. Um, and um, otherwise, um, where I live is usually bursting with people in April. It's the, you know, really the height of the busy season in the Bahamas. And it's just um, empty. I'm sure that must feel <laughs> surreal. It is actually, it's really, I mean, the whole thing is so surreal at the, at the moment. Um, and um, Nassau's airport is very close to Lyford Key. And so I always talk about this, but um, the airplanes on one of the active runways go right past my house, but they're far enough away that they're not annoying. The, the noise is nothing, but it's sort of, it's always been part of the entertainment of the day to see, oh, the British Airways flight has just arrived. And, or, or you're waiting <laughs> for your friends to come from New York and you say, oh, there's JetBlue. It's time to jump in the car to go and collect them. But now there's absolutely no airplanes flying. There's like two cargo planes that, that come a day um, into into Nassau. Um, it's very odd. The whole thing's just it's just um, it's yeah. Really it's all a little bit spooky. Actually. I feel like yeah. the world is sort of collectively on pause to some degree. Yes, um, it is. But we're gonna get through it. And um, and you're so um, wonderful to to invite. Um, the creatives to chat with you and to try and take our, as you say, to distract us from the, <laughs> this oddness from, from watching. Absolutely. And, well, and hearing, selfishly, hearing I just found myself really craving connection with my friends and the people who inspire me because I'm stuck in my house and I have, you know, zoom calls with clients and conference calls with my team and my husband's here, but he's working too. And so strangely, I just feel really isolated and more than ever, I want, some sort of distraction from 
all of the depressing news that we get every day. And more than ever, I just wanted to reach out to my friends and talk to you. And I felt like if we recorded these conversations, we might inspire someone else and perhaps provide, you know, some enlightening information, something useful for them as we all navigate the uncertainty of this time. Yeah, it's funny um, that you say that because I have, you know, we all have to take away the the silver linings of of this situation. And we've been designing a client's house on the West Coast, um, two other team members and me on a two o'clock call every day. And we have found the calls to be incredibly invigorating because very often when we're designing, we're taking other telephone calls or we're interrupted by um other i other issues in the office and this that and the other and these um calls have been really intense sort of one and two hour um calls where we've got drawings and inspiration images and we're all sending people things and and, um i've always loved these go-to meetings we use them because of my remote location living in the islands um we've been using go-to meetings with our architects and our clients and and our various team members who are in the office in palm beach or in charleston and We've been doing them for years, but they've been particularly um, good this last two weeks. We, we've really, um, we get off the call and we're like, wow, we really, really aced that room. And gosh, um, mm-hmm. they seem more focused in a strange way. I can't really, I can't really, maybe just because um, there's nothing, I'm sitting alone. Maybe that's why, I don't know. But um, I've enjoyed it a lot. It's been um, really um, the highlight of my days. That's amazing. Well, you know, Pablo Picasso said something along the lines at one point regarding the fact that creativity thrives on solitude and without solitude, one can't be creative. And I'm finding that to be really true during this experience, because in my typical day to day, I'm in an office with my team and there's constantly a barrage of questions or people coming into our shop and meetings and things that sort of create the pace of the day, but also disrupt my own creative energy to some degree. And they're obviously necessary things. But in this experience, I'm spending so much time on my own. And I feel like the ideas are just flowing so much more than they typically do, because we have the gift of time to sit with our creativity more than we do. And I'm sure I think at this point, everybody knows you as sort of this queen of Caribbean island style and you create these beautiful retreats for people both primary homes and uh, vacation homes and whatnot but you began your career in fashion prior to moving to the Bahamas and um, starting your interior design career could you tell us a little bit about that I know that you had handled PR for Gucci and some other luxury brands and had also worked in the um, editorial world at Women's Wear Daily and W Magazine yeah. So, I mean, I talk about this sometimes when I'm speaking because um, I find it such a relevant talk at the moment, but I went to Wellesley College and I'm 57. So I graduated in 1984. I was quite young when I graduated, but um, I we weren't really allowed to become interior designers at that era, um, right out of a college um, sort of like that. Or, for example, there were the great New York decorators, Sister Parrish and, and Billy Baldwin and all those guys. But in your local town, it was sort of like your mom's divorced friend was a decorator or this or that. And so we were kind of all herded up to think that we had to go to Wall Street or get a job in advertising or get a job um, in some sort of serious 
um, career path, New York y kind of thing. It was just the era we were in. And so, mm. in spite of the fact that I probably made my first mood board when I was nine or 10 years old, um, my parents were building a new house for our family. And I didn't know that what it, that's what it was called, but I had sort of a, a, a page that had Mary Mecco sheets and a wicker sofa that I wanted and this, that, and the other. And I had sort of drawn the room um, in, in where the furniture plan would be. And, and, um, and so I'd probably been decorating my whole life. I, my mother had a lot of style and she bought all the decorating magazines, et cetera, et cetera. But at age 21, graduating from college, um, that was not going to be the path I went to. So what I eventually did, I, I lived in Paris for a year after college, and I worked as a um, as a stagiaire, a, an intern at a French bank. Um, I can't add or subtract, still can't. Um, <laughs> and so that banking was probably not going to be um, in my future. But I, you know, learned to speak French, and I did a lot of translating for them um, the easy way, from French to English, not the other way. Um, and, um, and then realized that I was never coming home. I wanted to live in Paris the rest of my life. I was never, um, going to be American again. And my parents were able to get me an interview with, um, Women's Wear Daily, um, for their French, for the Paris office. I mean, a dream come true, really, for someone like me. Uh, and what happened was the guy who was interviewing me was coming from New York for the New York, for the, for the collections, the autumn, um, it was the October shows. So it would have been the spring collections. Um, and. Um, he didn't come to the collections. He got sick and didn't come, but he wrote and said, um, we don't actually have a position available, um, in, in Paris, but we have a position available in New York for you. Can you come to New York and interview? So I, um, my dream, my dreams of being French were dashed and I flew to New York (laughs) and I started my job at Women's Wear a few weeks later. I went back to Paris. I stubbornly left my um, belongings in Paris, um, and so I had to fly back and collect them um, and then uh, moved to New York and worked at Women's Wear for two or three years. Um, and I worked on the I, which was the social column. So I went to parties every single night. And for Women's Wear Daily, I was on deadline every single morning. Um, so it was a really grueling job. It was a, it was a, it was really put yourself through the ringer job. Um, and then after a few years, I got married and um when I was found myself in London, um, that Women's Wear Daily experience really came to such, um, it was such a good thing to have on your CV because everybody knows anyone who worked there at that time was um, really put through the test. It was a very grueling job. Um, and so uh, when Dawn Mello became the head of Gucci and she had created Bergdorf Goodman under um, Ira Neemark was, uh, was her sort of partner in crime there. And they had literally um, discovered the Italian designers and they, they fund, financed early uh, runway shows for, I'm not exactly sure which one, if it was Armani or Versace, but they were really pioneers in that whole era. And uh, Maurizio Gucci called and hired Dawn to come and recreate Gucci, which at the time had been really over-licensed and, and didn't have any cachet at all. Um, and that was my moment um, living in London to just send her my resume because she knew me from my days at Women's Wear and she would have um, felt a familiarity with my background. And so I got this really wonderful job um, as PR for Gucci in London. And um, But all the while I was decorating. I was sort of decorating my flat and I was um, going to the auction houses, the cheap auction houses every week looking at furniture and really discovering the great English decorators. Um, I was sort of obsessed by John Stefanides at the time and went to Colfax and Fowler often to look at that beautiful yellow room um, Mm. and wandered around. And the, 
a sort of a, I have an extraordinarily um, strong love of, of England, of London, of English decorating, of the English um, way of, of um, sort of the insouciance of decorating, how there's so much comfort. And I learned all of that in those years in London, I think. Um, and then finally, when I got to Nassau, I got to actually decorate, um, which was fun. <laughs> so how did you make the official transition then in terms of your career? So you got to Nassau and decorated your home and then yes. people started to call upon you. And how did, how did the official transition sort of happen? Was it gradual or? It kind of was gradual. And so I, you know, I did my own houses and then, um, and my husband is a property developer. So I did things for him. I did a, a, a private club for him. And I mean, truthfully, Paloma, for the first 10 years I was decorating, I always referred to myself as a fake decorator. And I can't, <laughs> the, there might, I, I have to look back and see when I stopped doing that. Maybe after a couple of um, published covers or something, I think maybe you thought, well, I guess you actually are legitimate. Um, but um, I think creative people never take themselves too seriously. Um, I feel pretty strongly that we're always, um, um, I, don't, I want, self-deprecating isn't even the right word, terrorized by not having any talent at times um that i sort of well it's that imposter syndrome i think a lot of us feel that at times yes. yeah and there's a vulnerability that you feel especially as you become more established in a design career and more people see your work you know you're really laying yourself bare whether you're mm -hmm. putting out a book or having an interior published in a magazine it's just like wonderful incredible honor and a true milestone in one's career but then at the same time this sort of vulnerability comes with it because I don't know about you but you sometimes wonder will people like it what if everyone hates it yeah and I I also think like every time I design something that's pretty that it's like a miracle I'm like god oh my god we did it god that looks good <laughs> then like, I need to go take a nap or something to recover from the fact that it actually, we pulled it off. Um, but um, I, I guess that's just part of um, the creative process. I've, I have this sheet on my desk somewhere that says something like um, uh, the creative process. And it says, number one, this is awesome. Number two, this is awful. Number three, I am awful. Number four, this is okay. Number five, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's a process it's sort of a circular process and you it ebbs and flows that's true that's so true so funny so Amanda tell us a little bit about your childhood I've heard you talk about this before mm -hmm. and it's fascinating you grew up in Palm Beach during the 70s mm -hmm. in the midst of the most glamorous period in that region mm -hmm. but your family was a little bit different tell us about how all of that experience informed your aesthetic and what it is today so i actually grew up in boca raton which is south of palm beach it's less glamorous than palm beach but um okay. uh, but my mother was really very stylish she was the thinnest um woman in town and the prettiest and she had a lot of opinions and um and she ha <laughs> always had sort of a winston light 100 and a and a and and a sort of fantastic attitude um so um she was like you know we all have strong mothers um mine was particularly influential because um she really was um kind of a style diva and so my father I always tell the story that um, my father and mother um uh married in the early 60s and his family had property in Fort Lauderdale so they moved down there and my mother always said your father took me to Florida on my honeymoon and never let me go back and she had been living in um 
in New York working in the corporate offices of Alitalia. She had been to Italy um, on junior year abroad and like my French experience became this sort of enamored with this sort of sophisticated um, European-y kind of life. So she found herself sort of um, in South Florida in the early 60s and, and um, had, was always kind of slightly ironic about it. Um, anyway, they moved to Boca Raton a couple of years later. It's a few towns north. And um, she hired a Danish modernist to build our family houses. And um, I always quote her. She says, um, she said that we weren't rich enough for a mansion in Palm Beach and I wasn't going to live in a Florida ranch house. So she hired this incredibly glamorous um, Danish architect called Paul Robin John. And he was, he had floppy blonde hair and bright blue eyes and he was about six foot five. He was really glamorous. And he built these <laughs> modern houses. And as little kids, you know, we were the, you know, children on the school bus when I was in first grade um, coming home from school said, why doesn't your house have a roof? It's so, you know, I was so mortified that our house was so different than everyone else's house. But frankly, they were really, they were astonishingly interesting. And they were sort of a, uh, he was, a, he was a talented architect. So, I mean, I'm, I work with, we all work with architects all the time. We know who's talented and who's not. Uh, but Paul Robin John built these extraordinarily um, meticulously proportioned modern houses from the early 60s, international style, sort of a Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, Corbusier, um, international style, however you want to call it, um, houses. And um, so I grew up in a, in, in a, in a, in houses that had great proportions. And I think, um, and my mother was very stylish. She's very underdecorated them. The, you know, my original, my original interiors were always a copy of my mother's, which would have uh, white cotton duck slip covers on all of the upholstery, um, some kind of beautiful rattan modernist chair, and a couple bamboo lamps, and and pretty much um, that was that. I mean, she really had a very sort of strict, edited look, um, and she was she dressed that way too. She was always in sort of um, you know slim trousers and a and a button down shirt, unbuttoned, you know, with long pearls, and she she had a real look too. Um, Anyway, um, that, that was sort of the way we were raised in this kind of um, really sort of pretty houses and, um, and, um, and but it's very edited. She was, my mother didn't believe in one excessive thing, which I did not get that gene. I got to England and realized more was more, more cushions, a more ottomans to put your feet up. The, the houses were not comfortable, by the way. They were never, my mother had in our, the, in the house that my father built um, for the, the, we were four children by the early seventies. And so Paul, Rob and John entered our life again and built a bigger house. Um, and she had Belgian Quar wall to wall carpet in 1972 installed in our bedrooms. And as you know, Quar is not like comfy on your bum and children, no. children sit on the floor. Um, but where did she even find such a thing um, in, in that early time? Because those natural fiber rugs, were not, um, they were brand new to the, to the, to the Western world anyway. I don't know, maybe they maybe were, I think, I think she found it in a very chic shop in Palm Beach um, and ordered it through them. But we, as children, we were like, Molly, what, this floor, this carpet hurts, which makes me laugh because we specify um, <laughs> seagrass and sisal for our clients in these, in the tropics all the time. And men always complain that it's not comfortable. So I find that so funny. How funny. Yeah. So how, how do you approach then 
designing for island life and what considerations you talked about how your your childhood homes were beautiful but maybe not the most comfortable Mm -hmm. how does one then merge those two things those two elements um, practicality and beauty I think when designing a home in the tropics I I suppose the whole comfort thing really I learned in England Um, because the English have have down sofas that billow and there's Mm -hmm. always a place to put a drink there's always a reading light to read a book there's always somewhere to put your feet up um and i think that those those essentials um uh, sort of have i i layered that on top of um sort of the childhood um learning about scale and things like that i mean i think it's don't you find paloma that you're still learning the whole time i mean you're still studying you're still learning um Always. Yeah, I think Always. I think um, it's part of our craft is that we have to keep doing that. And um, I look around my house right now and it needs a huge edit. I'm going to channel my mother um, at some point during this. <laughs> I feel like we're going to be locked down for months. I just have a gut feeling this is not going to end soon. Um, and so I might get a dumpster delivered or something. Part of my part of my <laughs> part of my um, my whatever it's called quarantine we'll be um getting bahamas waste management to bring a 40-foot dumpster here maybe we'll unload some stuff um but uh how do i do it you know i'm also extraordinarily um interested in architecture so um a really beautiful house i always think is almost you you can under decorate anything that's architecturally perfect um and so we tend to try and do that in houses that have such a, a strong architectural point of view they don't need a lot um but um, but, uh, really important to my ethos living in the islands is I want the houses to have as much open air as they can. So we try to keep the doors open and the windows open and to get cross ventilation in houses. It's something that we talk about with architects when we're drawing houses, um, is to be sure that, um, that they're catching the breeze because the whole point of living in the islands is to experience the outdoors. Um, and so that really is, that's a super big point of, um, of my decorating is how you're going to live indoors and outdoors and where you're going to eat and how we're going to, um, how we're going to control, um, sunlight. So sunlight and heat and air are things that, um, are critical to an Island, um, a good Island house, I think, because I get, you know, the sun sets at four o'clock in the afternoon or five o'clock in the afternoon in the summer and your house can really, um, the, the heat, quotient can go way up we like to make sure that the terraces have shutters so that you can shut those during those sunsets and um and mitigate some of the the heat and things like that And these are all techniques that we learn really by looking backwards you look at houses in the in the bahamas from the 19th century um and their terraces that all the examples of what you need are actually there um to to copy because exactly It's all about the the lifestyle and comfort. Again, going back to comfort and in the case of cross ventilation mm-hmm. and all of the challenges that you have in a more tropical environment. Yeah. And, you know, in the 19th century, they wouldn't have had air conditioning. So the architecture had to really provide that level of comfort. Yes. And there- now I don't want to dilute your business down to just working in the islands because you really are at the helm of this international business you've done work all over the western world and surely there must be challenges being in the island sometimes or 
across the pond in, in London with your team back in the States. Tell us a little bit about how you run your business and how you make it all work with so many different moving parts. Well, I think you're flattering me to say that I do actually make it work. <laughs> I, um, I, t- I tend to permanently think that I've underserved um, clients or, um, or, and trying to stay on top of that. But um, it, is, it, it all comes because I have a, a fantastic team. Um, of really diligent and um, and caring and um, talented um, uh, group and um, and we really rely on each other's skills as well. Um, the nice thing about the team is that everybody doesn't have the same skills and so um, you, when we when we put groups together that are working on projects, some people are stronger at other things than other people and um, and of course working where we work, logistics are huge so they have to have an enormous amount of organizational skills too, because um, shipping and tracking um, shipments and, and consolidating containers and this kind of thing to get here um, is, is really a big job. Um, and we're working, we have a couple of clients now on the West coast um, and that's a new thing for us. Um, and so we're just mm-hmm. beginning to learn how to put that into our schedule to make those site visits and to um, be sure that we're, you know, Call we I think um, uh, Emily in Palm Beach who's running a big job we're doing in Rancho Santa Fe. I think she called Mary McDonald in Los Angeles, who I adore, and said, "Mary, I need workrooms and I need this and that." And you know we wouldn't be able to do those jobs without the generosity of our friends who shared contacts and um, and sources for us. And you know of course we're super grateful to that. Absolutely, isn't it wonderful? We have such a great community. At the end of the day, yeah. I say, you know, designers really are kind people sure you know there are some egos in the industry but at the end of the day everyone really rolls up their sleeves and finds a way to help one another and i i have personally experienced so many people being very generous with me as well when we're doing jobs outside of houston where i'm based um, with sharing resources and all of that and i think everyone realizes there's enough work or there has been to, to go around and by you know the rising tide helps all ships. Yeah, or whatever and I the think you're right. Is. I mean, the truth is, is that the universe rewards those of us who are generous about about sources. I, I'm always, I'll give away almost every source in my in my playbook because I'm going to need one from someone else, right? You know, <laughs> I want I want to be able That's to call and say, where on earth did you get that extraordinarily beautiful something? And they'll say, oh, there's this little artist here or there or something, um, and um, and it's not a state secret, you know? Yeah, right. Well, with projects all over the place, do you and your team divide and conquer or do you find that you personally have to, you travel quite a bit? I'm assuming you're constantly Mm -hmm. on the road visiting Mm -hmm. clients in all different corners of the States and in the islands. What is that like? Um, How do you It's been pretty grueling the last few years. In fact, um, uh, probably was too grueling. I think um, I put Mm -hmm. my shoulder out last year and I'm convinced it was from... um, hauling luggage and putting it in overhead bins and then um in the last few weeks that we've all been on lockdown it's totally healed and i thought well you know that's a small sign of of um, that's a silver lining my shoulder is better and um and maybe you should stay put more and i think i mean uh, the italians apparently are all talking about this that once we go back to work um in a few months that maybe the whole universe will reassess how we're working um, because we all are surviving on zoom and go to meetings and um, 
and maybe our footprint um, will be a little different. Apparently the water is clear in Venice, the skies are clear in China. I have friends in um, mm-hmm. Abaco who are poor things, they're, you know, they got the double whammy of having Hurricane Dorian. And um, I spoke to them the other day and they said, we went out to spear some fish for dinner on Sunday night and a reef that they have, haven't seen fish or conch or crawfish in 20 years is teeming with fish now because their islands have not had the level of tourism and, and, and visitors. Um, so you have to look at little tiny silver linings, but um, about the travel, yeah, I, I mean, Paloma, as you know, we're also in our business, we're always trying to get jobs. So you spend a lot of time flying right. around interviewing for jobs as well. I mean, there's, there's that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah, we're gonna need to, um, <laughs> someone, someone who does PR recently said to me, you need to put some rules in place so that when someone wants to interview you for a job, they, they don't get you the first visit. They get someone more junior than you and you have to do this, that, and the other. And I thought, God, I'm, that's so flat. I mean, I, I'm always the first one to jump on a plane to go get a job. I would never, I, I don't, I think the client wants to meet you, you know? Yeah. Right. I don't think I'm that. Yeah, I think, I think so too. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, to that end, you, speaking of travel, you and I spoke on a panel together, um, I think a couple of years ago now, yes. at Bungalow Classic in Atlanta with Leslie Newsom Rasco from Milieu. And you said something that I, I still to this day have not forgotten. It's really stayed with me. Someone in the audience asked a question along the lines of how you managed to travel back and forth. I think in that particular week, you'd been back and forth between London mm. twice Uh, London and Nassau and then you'd made it to Atlanta and you said something to the effect of when life hands you a magic carpet you get on and you enjoy the ride Mm -hmm. and that has really stuck with me because I think it's such a powerful message Mm -hmm. about perspective and we're all sort of having a bit of a Mm -hmm. gut check moment in the midst of what we're living through but prior to this I think everybody sort of wore um, their busyness if you will as a as a sort of badge of pride a badge of honor tell us a little bit about what you mean by enjoying this magic carpet ride if you're fortunate enough to yeah. get a magic carpet you make the well most I think of it's it. like all the good that comes in your life and all the bad that comes in your life you just have to do your best you know I mean the truth is is that we have our we are so blessed to have to have work and to have health and so um, taking mm-hmm. advantage of that, and that's the wrong word because it sounds so pejorative, but making the most of those moments in your life, you really, you don't, you, they're, they're not going to be there forever. Um, I mean, one hopes they are, but um, life throws us real curves, like the one we're having right now. Um, I mean, all of us are wondering, okay, fine, the clients I have are not um, caving, we're, we're staying put, we're on the course, but will there be another client in six months? We, you know, hopefully. Right. I mean, I was I was so optimistic 48 hours ago. Something about the news in the last 24 hours has rocked me a little more about all these predictions of the mm-hmm. next two weeks of the fatalities and all that. I mean, it, it, no one could be unscathed by this news. But 48 hours ago, I was chatting with a friend in New York City, and he he said, "Listen, when this is over, the pent up demand for getting out of the house and for." people will want to spend. Um, I, I, I had this analogy. I'm old enough to remember the day after um, President Bush, I think the first one, um, was, in, was president when the Kuwaitis were invaded um, by the Iraqis. And the Americans went in and bombed the 
to do out of them. And, and that started that Persian Gulf War. Um, the next day, the stock market rallied. There was this level of, we got them, let's, there was, I, it was counterintuitive. And so my friend in New York's point was, um, we're going to come out of this swiftly because there's spirit to do so. And I, I feel like, um, I feel mm-hmm. like, I feel like they're right. I, I, I'm praying they're right. That you know the 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 incentives for small businesses right now that the government's putting out to keep people um, keep the economy boosting up. We just have to pray that it all works. You know, it's a big, big, big experiment. All of this, um, and let's hope that their predictions are also incorrect. That not that that many people are going to perish. Um, let's pray, and let's hope that the scientists are coming up with some drugs. Right. I hope so. Gosh, my greatest hope is that we stem, we stem the, the, I, the flow, I guess, I don't know how to word it appropriately, but that we don't see the number of deaths that they're predicting. It's just such a yeah. staggering number. In the best case scenario is yeah. a staggering number. But I, I, I agree with your friend. I, I do think that's my hope is that at the end of all of this, we all come back, everybody has sort of recalibrated and refocused on what truly matters and no one has ever spent this amount of time at their home in their home at one at once and so people are really realizing how important having a functional comfortable home truly is and so my hope is that for the design industry it ends up being a good thing that people will come back they will rally they will want to support they'll want to improve the way that they live and that we'll see an increase Let's in business. So, right? Let's just pray to the Lord that um, that you're you're um, correct. I, and and uh, let and I do think people will be enthusiastic um, just to get the economy rolling. And I don't I don't know I don't know where the stock market Absolutely. is today. But, um, you know that, that I'm told by smarter people than I am that the market will rally faster than the real economy. But um, let's just hope that they all rally. Let's just, you know, I mean, the Bahamas, they've just laid off 17,000 hotel workers in the last five days. So um, this is going to be really devastating here. Yeah, I know. Gosh. I know. I know. But the Bahamians are heartbreaking. resilient. They're, this is a, a nation I've lived here 30 years that takes care of, their, their, of each other. The families look after each other. There's not the level of um, poverty that... Um, if there is poverty, there's no starvation. People feed each other. People um, care, and the family networks are very, very tight. So um, we we'll pray that this thing passes fast. We also have the the prime minister's done an incredible job keeping. Um, as he started early, and there are only 20 cases here, um, and I don't think I think we've had one death. So um, yeah, I think at the moment, wow. um, at the moment. Uh, it's pretty under control and let's just pray that it's going to stay that way. How's the recovery going from yeah. the hurricane? I mean, that's such yeah. a double whammy so to face. The, that's about a hundred miles from Nassau. We had no, um, no impact here whatsoever. Um, but I've, I have three projects in, in the, in the area. All of them were damaged. Um, two of them, we did we installed two beautiful cottages on a little man-made peninsula um on the sea of abaco on in hopetown on a friday we came home on saturday and the hurricane hit the following sunday and the sea went straight through the ground all the furniture every single bit of it is just gone i don't there's no trace of it 
Um, I know. So um, wow. those they're rebuilding those now, um, I think. Uh, but those, the recovery up there is slow um, because, um, you know, there's nowhere to, there, there's nowhere to house the manpower that's needed. So it's happening. It's all happening. Um, Hopetown, the very beautiful island that we were working on two projects for, um, they won't have electricity maybe for another 10 months still. So they've been, they've had no electricity since September 1st. So they're all running on generators. Um, but they're the ones who reported that their reef is beautiful and there's fish again. And um, so they're all coping. They're, they're all, well, I'll tell you a very funny story is that I'm, I'm talking to one of my close friends who lives there and she's an incredibly civilized girl from Canada. And she said to me, you know, I got some wonderful new curtains. So my, one of my clients asked me to go look at their house and she had these curtains. And I said to her, um, so you took them? <laughs> and I said, there, there's just this kind of, um, they're survive, they're surviving up there. They're just, I, I said, that is the most hilarious thing because in your voice, you don't even realize that you've taken someone else's curtains. She laughed. <laughs> Mine were damaged from the storm and we just hung them up. They look really great, but they're a little short. I said, this is hysterical. This conversation is making, there actually have there so been funny. so many hilarious jokes during this whole, are you getting funny jokes sent to you? Uh, yes. Oh my gosh. So many that, and that helps you just get mm -hmm. through the day. You have to laugh because if you don't laugh, you'll just cry all day. I mean, can you imagine? We'd be yeah, so depressed. Sent one this morning that had, was an image of, of a, a proper hospital situation of a person on a, on a gurney with four entirely um, p personal protection covered nurses or doctors wheeling this um, patient into a hospital. Not the, the poor person doesn't know that they've been had a photograph taken of them and it's circulated as a joke and it says underneath for $3,500 you can pay to have a, a, a COVID SWAT team come in and, and steal you away from your wife. <laughs> or rescue yeah I've seen wife. a lot of funny ones about spouses spouses having to be confined together and how that's going. Um, I saw one that was really funny yesterday I don't have children and I, you know, you're hearing about all of these people who have to work from home and their spouses are working from home. And then they also have to homeschool their children on top of that and just manage the craziness of a household confined under one roof. And it was, I guess, from somebody's Twitter and it said something along the lines of not to brag, but what a time <laughs> right, to be right. childless. <laughs> and I, which I, I thought was so girls funny here in Nassau who are homeschooling and working and um I sent them a picture it was a little nice old lady like in her 90s with little white curly hair and it said underneath this is Sue comma she's 31 and she's been homeschooling for five days way to go Sue keep up the good work <laughs> <It's so silly. laughs> yeah I think a lot of people are gonna age throughout this process yeah my goodness well yeah. we'll turn back to to your work a little bit uh, you in addition to your successful design firm you also have created a lifestyle brand which includes decorative accessories tabletop and now furniture which you recently released could you tell us a little bit about how you were inspired to design product and sure. to share your creativity in this so, way. I mean, living here in the islands for as long as I have, I sort of was keeping a running list of things that seemed like they were missing from, um, for dining outside, for living this outside life. Um, and, and there are a lot of things that were really um, missing 
like have disappeared from the marketplace. For example, we used to be able to buy Pyrex that was wrapped in rattan, and you would, I mean, in my childhood, it was at the dime store. The it was at the at the grocery store. It was just um, uh, uh, available. It was not special. Mm-hmm. So we remade mm-hmm. those things and we made wonderful big lanterns reading outside and hurricanes and wrapped glassware and raffia and things. And then, um, and then that was successful. So we decided to do some bigger things. So the furniture is um, just about to be released. Hopefully it'll be on our site um, in the middle of this month. I think by the 17th is our goal. Um, and um, we did put six or seven of our new tabletop, smaller items, the funny, pretty, pagodas and we re-released our thermoses and our our new bedding was released yesterday so then about a dozen of the new things were put on the website over the weekend um and it's very nice to report that people are shopping which is very that's i'm so pleased um i'm very grateful to that to people and um and we're really looking forward to the furniture coming out so um uh i can't wait a veranda magazine is doing a story on it which i think comes out to coincide with that on about the 17th of april um and um and it was really fun to design it's just a lot of things based on um nostalgic chairs and uh, and and tables and things that um that i loved that um and we designed a really great bed based on a vintage one that we found uh and so and it's, it's so fabulous i i got to see that recently at your shop in Charleston. It was beautiful. Um, yeah, I think it's fine. I mean, obviously, it's a terrifying time that we're doing this. Um, one would um, ideally not be um, launching something uh, at such an economic, um, uh, scary time. But um, I think, you know, as I said before, you know, you get on the magic carpet, whether it's, um, uh, you know, going well, or um, it, we have, if the magic carpet has a little hiccup, we're going to just have to um, roll with the punches and do the best we can. We absolutely, we have to carry on. I mean, you can't, the world can't come to a complete halt and we have to keep creating and sharing and doing what we do in order to, to bounce back. I think you can't be petrified and just sort of stop all operations because yeah, it's a scary time. Um, it is. Um, it's really important um, and, and also to keep the morale up of your team. You know, they don't want to see, um, they don't, you know, I, you know, basically Paloma, the most important quality we all have in life is courage. We have to be courageous. We just have to be courageous. You know, that's so true. Yeah. Such wise words. Amanda, what might people be surprised to learn about oh you? Oh my goodness. Um, I'm afraid of flying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really? Oh gosh. Um, what else? uh goodness gracious um i'm actually um yeah uh what would they be surprised to learn about me has your fear of flying gotten worse the um, more you travel i got or have you always on been a afraid? couple of bad flights um one in my 20s and one in my when I, one yeah. when I was pregnant with eliza we were on a little plane coming back from florida got into a thunderstorm and it only lasted two minutes but it's something that kind of settles in your soul in in your cells so every time yeah um, you climb through a cloud I think oh that's gonna be bumpy um but um what I find is if I'm really tired I'm not um scared and so if I if it's sort of I just couldn't care less actually and um uh flying back with Eliza I flew to London two weeks ago to get Eliza home from school um and 
just was so relieved to have her that no turbulence would have made a difference. It was, you know, that kind of thing. I think, what would we be surprised about? Um, um, I don't know. I need to think about that. I'm pretty much, I'm kind of an open book, you know, okay. I'm a little bit of an open book. So um, probably people are um, tired of hearing about me. <laughs> I doubt that. No, you really are. You're refreshingly mm-hmm. candid. I will say that about you. And you're so you. warm and engaging. I feel like anytime anyone is with you, they feel mm-hmm. like they're the only person in the room because you have a gift of being really present with people. And that has become yes. such a rarity. And it's something so special to be able to give someone your undivided attention and for them to feel that. Um, I'm very flattered to hear that. So nice to hear. I think, you know, the truth is, is that authenticity is really um, a really important quality. Um, It's really those, if you see it in people and you see it in your, in the work you're doing, um, it it does show up. I think authenticity is so important and, um, and not being fake, you know, um, I don't know. You know, there, we all have qualities in ourselves that we're not proud of. Um, and, um, I, the nice thing about life is that as you age, um, you do kind of get a little bit smarter and you're less, um, petty, I think. I mean, I think we all, I, I have certainly have a level of right. sometimes, but, um, it's not becoming, you know? Yeah. Well, you're human. I mean, we all, yeah. we all have those moments. Where do you turn for inspiration? What's oh, inspiring you right one. now? Um, so being an Anglophile, I love watching all those English TV shows. So I watch for all the way from like Inspector mm-hmm. Lewis, um, which is all in Oxford at Oxford College. Lots of murders at Oxford College. Um, Inspector Morse. And then my favorite show, <laughs> I think of my entire life, is The Durls in Corfu, which is on Apple TV. And it's about um, a family that a woman who becomes a widow in, in the 19, let's say the 1930s. Um, and, um, and she's in Bournemouth in England, which I'm not even sure where that is, but, um, and she has four children, one in from their twenties down to one who's probably 12 or 13. And um, it's based on a true a bunch of novels that the very youngest one wrote. He was a naturalist, this little boy, and he loved, uh, animals and bugs and all these things anyway she she's a widow and she has no money and for some reason they move she moves the family to Corfu where they're penniless but elegant and they're in this incredible sort of palladian crumbling mansion um on this on a cliff on a seaside and it's about um this the their life there there are three seasons I think if you haven't seen it um I don't know I get I sort of get it's just the most, it's so oh, charming I need to. and so beautifully produced. Um, anyway, I get, in, oh, did you see Emma, that beautiful new film? I did. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What a beautiful yes. confection of a film. I mean, yeah. it was gorgeous. Those mm-hmm. sets yeah, and the costumes. Beautiful. So I think, I mean, I, I probably get, um, I should have been born probably in another century or something. But um, I, I love all of those, um, those English shows for inspiration. And then what decorators am I studying right now? Um, you know, I have a big crush on, um, on Michele Bonan, the, the Italian. Um, yeah, I have a big, big crush. I on, love him. On, on him. Um, 
So for people who may not know who that is, he's designed a lot of uh, really famous mm-hmm. chic hotels, the JK series, that's mainly in Italy. So they have JK Firenze in Florence and Roma and yeah. uh, where else are they? Capri. And they just recently opened in Paris. But of course, he does private homes. And I think he did the Casa yes. Tua in, in Miami and all kinds of properties. He has impeccable yeah, I style. I love also, his work. Um, have a crush on um, Vera Grinney right now in England. I, there's just this level of, I mean, yes, sort of Colfax, but with a little bit sharper. Um, and I have a long-term love of John mm-hmm. Stephanides. Um, his work has only gotten more beautiful. And um, so, who else? Um, you know, all of the great American decorators I follow and love and. I don't know. I just, I've got. I've had a little Miles moment the last two weeks. I don't know why we're, I'm always pulling up Miles things, but I also adore him as a person. So, and we always joke that we're cousins because my maiden name is Red. Um, but we're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, um, oh, really? I didn't know. So, that. Um, yeah. I mean, who else? Um, but those are those are. Um, who's the one who did the um, Lulu's restaurant? It's um, he just did the Serena's. Joseph Duran. Oh, uh, Joseph, Joseph Duran. I love him. Yeah. All of my favorite restaurants in Paris, coincidentally, most of them were designed by him. I'm I'm guilty of oftentimes going to a restaurant because the interior is beautiful. And then if the food happens to be great too, then it becomes an instant favorite. Um, That is so, so great. Yeah. The the Lulu's restaurant is so beautiful. Just um, I have you know. ever had the burrata I, there I, mean, I just go there and get the rosé and giggle and I think I don't know what we, I just know and mm. we got there and um, we were with our French cousins and they first took us to a table downstairs which was dreary and I think we had such a look of disappointment in our face that then they took us upstairs to a really great table and so we had just the most wonderful time really wonderful mm-hmm. time Oh, I know. The views are beautiful because it's on the grounds of the Louvre and then you have views of the Eiffel Tower. It's so I've been so speaking beautiful. to those cousins so in wonderful. Paris and they're in lockdown um, and they've been in lockdown, I think, for two weeks or three weeks. So um, amazing. Yeah, it's what a time. Well, on that note, I'll ask you a couple more questions. One is one of my favorites to ask people. If you could go back in time, is there a piece oh, God, of advice yes. that you would give your younger self? Um, um, huh, let's see. Um, God, so many pieces of advice. Um, I think mostly not to be petty and not to be jealous and to stay the course and to keep your own confidence and to... Um, yeah, I don't know. And I also think it's really, I would, um, I think you, you need to remind yourself when you're young that there's a lot you don't know and to be sure to have the most experienced uh, people around you. Um, and to, you know, this product business that mm-hmm. we started, we had no experience in it and we did really, really well, but we needed some people with some experience to give us some guidance. And, and, um, and uh, I think that, people should remember that from the beginning. I mean, I think you always need to have somebody who has some background and things. Another thing that I I think, because I'm so poor at technology and I'm not a math genius, um, I think that everybody, decorators, nitwits like me, should 
have a, a take a basic accounting class, just basic. No, I don't want I don't want to be an accountant, but I need to understand it's a discipline and it's a science, and and one should know um, what all mm-hmm. those things are for, a balance sheet and a, and and how how you reconcile things and all that. Um, I mean, I feel like I'm going to torture Eliza at some point and make her take them. I think. Um, <laughs> But it's, it's such, it's really sage advice because oftentimes people look at creative careers, creative businesses, and they only think about the creative side, but fundamentally it has to be a business first in order to work. And to do that, you have to have an understanding of your books and processes and how everything runs, what things cost, you know, your operating expenses, all of those things. Everything in life is, is driven by process. And so having someone teach you those processes early would have been very helpful to me. Like if I'd known, because um, you, you, mm-hmm. everything, if everything follows a process. And, and the other thing, Paloma, as you know, you have to be impeccable in business. You have to have an impeccable reputation. And, and, um, and, and you know, that's, you, you, you just only have one reputation. And, and that's so important. And so when we make mistakes, we, totally. we, we have to just own up to it and say, well, that was a mistake. Um, that comes coming off your bill. That's, that's right. (laughs) Well, that's all very, very sage advice. So as we wrap up, Amanda, I have one last question for you in the midst of the situation we're all in and just in general, what is currently giving you you hope? What's funny is that I'm by nature such an optimist. So um, I'll tell you what's weird is that even for someone who's always optimistic and hopeful, I've had to learn this year to live in the present, and I never did. I always was one of you know that oh, how they they're always saying oh you can't live in the past because da 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 you're just not supposed to live in the future. Well, I'm a girl who's always mm-hmm. lived in the future. That's my deal. But this year, um, for various reasons, I have learned to live in the present, and it's okay. It's okay to say today we're going to get through these things and. We're going to accomplish this and tomorrow we'll tackle that. Um, but today's, today's tasks are the following and I'm going to go to bed hoping that I got through them. And, and I've never done that before. And I think that maybe that's something everybody during this crisis is going to learn to do as well. It's just to say, okay, today's, today's tasks are um, doable. Um, and thinking about how next week and three weeks from now and six weeks from now is not um we don't know, and then, and and also it would make you nuts. I mean, you just would say you, right. you can't. You're no one has that courage right now. We just right. have to say, let's get through um, what's what the problems of the day are. So I think it's a valuable lesson, a good, a great reminder, and also I think just um, an, a a reminder yeah. to to be yeah. a little bit gentler with ourselves because. Oftentimes that living in the future and working towards the next goal and worrying about X, yeah. Y, and Z I have this is little, so self-inflicted. Um, one of those little silly posters or whatever um, on my desk that I was reading this morning. And I'm not very good at taking my own advice, by the way. But um, it says in here, note to self, treat yourself the way you would treat a small child. Feed yourself. You spend time outside. Put yourself to bed early. Let yourself take naps. Don't say mean things to yourself. Don't put yourself in danger. Your skull and your heart are still as fragile as eggshells. I think it's really sweet. You know, it's a treat yourself as like a little child. Um, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not great at doing any of those things, but I'm going <laughs> to try. 
Yes. Well, I love that. Amanda, this has been so wonderful. I've loved having you and chatting with you. You've shared such enlightening advice and just wonderful, heartfelt sentiments. Um, so Paloma, thank, thank you so you much for, for making me. the time thank and, you so much and for, for connecting me. with I'm us really today. To, to be asked. And you take good care and stay inside. Are you cooking? <laughs> I am cooking a lot. A lot of cooking and a lot of <laughs> doing right. dishes around well, stay here. Stay as safe as you can and um, let's stay in touch. <laughs> you too. I, I can't wait to uh, and likewise, until we can and, see um, each other again in person. Very soon. A huge kiss. So okay. Lots of love. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah, I hope so too. We'll take good care. That was interior designer, product designer, author, and all-around gadabout, Amanda Lindroth. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to visit us online at thestylefilespodcast.com, where you can find more episodes featuring engaging, exciting, and illuminating conversations with creatives. You can also subscribe on Spotify or Apple or wherever you choose to get your podcasts and be sure to keep in touch at Paloma Contreras Design on Instagram where I will be sharing the news of our latest episodes so you won't miss a thing. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time.